0: Welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're tuning in. My name's Ethan, one of the pastors, and uh, so glad that you're tuning into this. Love to get to know you, and so feel free reach out to me via email. Love to be able to chat uh, maybe that way with you, kind of see who's watching behind this. But as we jump in today, uh, we're looking at Ephesians. So if you got a Bible, get that open, Ephesians chapter one. And throughout this series, if you've been with us, maybe you've been reading through Ephesians, we've encouraged you and challenged you, or maybe just now challenging you to join us as we read through Ephesians together, uh, just one chapter a day. And then on the seventh day, we'll kind of talk together about it. There's six chapters throughout it. We'd love for you to join us in that way. But as I was thinking about prepping this week's sermon and this week's message, I was thinking about a conversation my wife and I had uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Kimmy is her name, and we have two boys, Denver and Henry. And Denver is uh, a year old, and Henry is about three months old now, and so it's just been exciting at our home. But as fall has been happening, it's Labor Day weekend, uh, the, the school is in the air, school is happening. I've just We're talking to each other, and we just kind of had this passing conversation about how Uh, Man, it's going to be crazy. In just a few years, our boys are going to be going to school. How wild is that? And and I was telling her, you know, I kind of made a joke. I'm like, it's not going to be bad for me to go through this again, right? To kind of learn some things. I don't think I picked up everything the first go around. I remember there was a time with my dad, often we'd find ourselves sitting at the kitchen table going through homework together, and I'd ask him uh, questions about math, and he would start trying to figure out the problem, and usually it would end like this, Dad, that's not how they taught us to do it in school. Have you ever had that? Right? My dad would be like, how did they change math? Math is math. If you've ever seen Incredibles 2, that's where my mind goes. In Ephesians 1, what we're going to hit today... What well, we're going to talk about today, it's going to feel a little bit like that. It's going to feel like, man, we probably went over this at some point, at one point or another. Do we talk about this? This sounds familiar to last week. But then there's going to be some new vantages, new points that Paul's going to kind of bring in that he wants us to see some new twist in the conversation. And so he writes in Ephesians 1, hopefully you're there, for this reason. What reason is he talking about? Well, it's the run-on sentence reason. It's what we said last week, that because you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're positionally, legally, vitally united to Jesus. He goes in to verse 1 through 14. He says you're adopted into God's family. You have a new identity, a new intimacy, a new inheritance, that if you're in, Christ, you know he's going to be working through it all and that it will be worth it all. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been thinking about you for a long, long time and they went after you to save you and grace all of a sudden becomes more than a theological concept. It all of a sudden becomes more than just a name on a church or a word that we throw around or just a name that maybe you have. Grace all of a sudden becomes beautiful to you and it becomes beautiful to you, in you, and through you. It's that reason that Paul is going to say what he's about to say. He says, because of that reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. That's an interesting line, isn't it? What a line. I've not stopped giving thanks for you. I don't know about you, but maybe the people that You love, if you're anything like me, the people that I love, the people that I'm closest to. uh, if, If I can be honest, sometimes they're the people that I can get frustrated with. They're the people that I can get impatient with, irritated with, bothered by. And Paul, he chooses to say something different. He's like, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. These people, you can see his passion for them. You can see his love for them. Maybe just for a moment, you could pause right now and just think, who's, who's the people that come to mind that you're honestly grateful for? Do they know? Do they know how much you love them? Do they know how much you're thankful for them? They're, you're thankful for their friendship, their relationship, uh, their knowing you? Do they know that? I'd encourage you, man, just shoot them a phone call, shoot them a text, write a letter maybe. Paul's writing this to people that he deeply loves. And he says, ever since I heard about your faith, and your love for Jesus. He's hearing all this secondhand information. He hears their faith and he hears their love and their faith is getting into their lives in such a way that they love all people. And it's having ripple effects. Like Paul is hearing about it. It's impacting their church. It's impacting their city and the surrounding areas. As far as New Testament churches go, which if you've read any of Paul, you read Galatians or Corinthians, you'll see that he's not afraid to call out what needs to call it out, right? Like he's not afraid to dig into it. But the New Testament church of Ephesus, this church there, they're doing all right as far as it goes. They're moving in the right direction. They're on the right track, and Paul is incredibly grateful for them. He's inspired by their faith, and Paul wants them to do something. He wants them to keep going. He wants them to keep going. Paul's super encouraged by them, but he wants to equip them even more. He's celebrating them, but he wants to challenge them more. He's seen the progress they've made, but he chooses in this next part to pray for them. And it makes me think, for those of us who have been following Jesus for any length of time, the spiritual journey doesn't reach an end destination or an arrival point, at least not this side of eternity. That there's always more of Jesus to know, to love, to grow in, to experience. You cannot reach the bottom of God. He will continually surprise you over and over and over again. And my hope is that we would adopt what Paul's getting ready to pray here for them, that we would adopt this as a church, that you would adopt this in your life. That this would form a movement of prayer in you personally and for others around you. This is a proactive prayer that he prays. It's not a reactive prayer. This is a prayer of first response, not one of last resort. It's a prayer when not everything's falling apart, but when everything seems to be okay, this is when he chooses to pray this prayer for them. That it's a constant prayer for the continual journey that God has them on. Watch what he prays. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, I keep asking, it's ongoing, the glorious Father may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That word wisdom there in the Greek is, is the word Sophia. So if that's your name, congrats, you're, you're wise, right? You, your name means wisdom. It means this, it's, it's like a finite kind of human enlightenment. It's the ability as humans to discern and apply knowledge in kind of a practical way. Uh, are you familiar with any of these companies? Maybe you are, maybe you know of several of these companies, probably. Amazon being one of the biggest. Amazon uh, in this logo, you kind of see it at first glance and you're like, oh, that's a cool logo, right? But that logo, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's hidden messages in all of these logos. There's hidden messages. In Amazon, you see kind of how the arrow points from the A all the way to Z. And they could have put the arrow above, but they chose to put it below, kind of to represent a smiley face that we have all you need from A to Z. You can find it on Amazon, and we want to make you happy in that way. We'll bring it to you, right, in two days or overnight. You see Tostitos, they have these two little T's that kind of look like people, and they're dipping a chip into the, the eye of the salsa, right? maybe FedEx, maybe one of the greatest ones, maybe you don't see the hidden picture right away, but if you keep staring at it for a little bit, do you see the arrow between the E and the X? Do you see it there, right there? There's an arrow as if to say, we're shipping to you, we're coming your way, we're coming your direction. And at first glance, you might look at some of these logos and go, man, I don't know, like I didn't know any of those hidden messages. Congrats, I've ruined it forever for you. You will not look at FedEx the same. All you'll see is that arrow every time, right? Sometimes you need someone outside of you to reveal something to you. That's what Paul's praying here. He's praying that you would have not just a wisdom, not just a human practical wisdom. He prays that, but he wants a revelation. That word revelation is... In Greek, the original language, it's the word where we get apocalypse. It's where we get apocalypse. Have you... I don't know what you think of when you think of apocalypse. Do you know what comes to mind? Does it? You, do you think of end times or zombies or dragons or aliens or fire or freaky world domination and destruction? Like I don't know what you think of when you hear the word apocalypse. But Paul uses this strong word apocalypse, revelation, and it's this Greek word that is rich. It just means to kind of reveal, to unfold, to unveil, to make what's hidden known or what's hidden visible, the invisible visible. That's what he's saying. I want you to have an apocalypse. Uh, I told you I got two boys and and I like to play a game with my boys, right? They're, They're young, so we don't have many games. But the one game that's killer in my home right now is the blanket game. Have you played the blanket game where I was playing it this week with them? You throw out the blanket and it kind of floats in the air for a second and it goes on top of them and it covers them. Right, it covers him, and and Denver's now old enough. He'll pull the blanket and like look at me, and then cover himself back up and pull it back down, and he'll keep doing that. Henry, he's not old enough yet, so he just kind of sits there on the ground and like is moving his arms, but they're not doing anything to help him, and he's just waiting for his dad to come over and lift the blanket. And usually, when dad comes over and lifts the blanket over there or pulls the blanket off. Their face, I make funny faces at them. I just kind of get in there and make funny faces and just laugh with them. And their minds are blown. They love this game. We'll play it over and over and over again, just seeing them, watching them light up. And there, it's so much fun. It's like what Paul wants us is he wants God to pull the blanket back for us to be able to light up, to be able to see things that we've never seen before when it comes to God. He's praying that we have a mental apocalypse to know God, to see God for who he is. He prays that we have see the arrow in the FedEx, so to speak. He wants us to see the hidden messages that God is trying to show and reveal and see to us. For today, we'll say it like this, that we pray, he prays for a mental apocalypse and a practical understanding to know Jesus better. Paul uses all throughout Ephesians, he uses the language you, which in Greek, we wouldn't know this as we write it, but it it would be better translated like this, y'all, right? Like he's writing to y'all, the church. He's writing to a group of people. But in the meantime, he's also looking at the y'all, but he's looking at you. He's looking at the individuals that make up this community. And he's like, I'm praying that y'all, but you personally would have a mental apocalypse, so to speak. I pray that you don't just have a secondhand knowledge of Jesus, the personal, I want you to have a personal knowledge of Jesus, not just what the preacher said, not just what your grandma used to say, not just what your friend or the church you go to kind of says, I want you to have a mental apocalypse, to have a revelation, to have the blanket pulled back. Because often what we'll have is we'll just have wisdom without any revelation. And wisdom minus revelation, well, that's just like life hacks. That's just like self-help. It's just like morality, doing the good, doing the good things or whatever. Revelation without wisdom, though, you just kind of have this foolish spirituality that it doesn't make sense. It's not connected to your honest everyday living. It's not connected to Tuesday. What Paul is praying, that we would know Christ in a way of practical wisdom and mental apocalypse revelation, that a light bulb moment would happen like, oh, I get it now. He prays this. He goes on. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart. That That's kind of the fulcrum point of human thought, of consciousness, your mind, your understanding. Every time scripture uses heart, it's kind of like your inner being. What makes you, you, I pray that would be enlightened. I pray that would be enlightened. Now we live in a very uh, post-enlightenment world. It's interesting Paul uses that word there, enlightened. We live in a post-enlightenment world after the 18th century that now we're able to explain more than we've ever been able to explain we're educated more than we've ever been educated we've experienced a lot more than we've ever experienced before right due to technology and and philosophy and different things of that nature and if if we need any kind of a question answered we don't go to god we go to google right but we have science now we have reason now we're able to taste touch use our senses to be able to explain reality And the Enlightenment did something very interesting. The Enlightenment caused a split. It caused a split. That reason now trumps religion. That history now trumps faith. That the natural now trumps supernatural. We live in a digital age that's full of information. But it's not one that I would describe as maybe wise. Wise wouldn't be the first word. We live in an age that's full of opinions, but not one of revelation. And please hear me, I'm not asking that we go back to a pre-scientific age or a pre-enlightenment pre age. There's been a lot of good things. But maybe, just maybe, the people that were, lived before the enlightenment, maybe they weren't so foolish as we think. Maybe they saw reality different. Maybe they saw the world differently. Maybe these ancient texts found in scripture written by ancient people, saw things differently. Proverbs 18 says it like this, that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing, that's the word Hebrew word for uncovering, unveiling, or apocalypse, his own opinion. Uh, one translation says it this way, that hum, humans, a fool, uh, delights in airing their own opinions. Can I, can I make a suggestion uh, wherever you're at? <laughs> Can I make a suggestion that maybe, just maybe, we're not as enlightened as we think we are? That maybe we're not as intelligent as we think we are. Maybe we're living kind of in a sleep like state and ignorance. Maybe reality that we think is so real is more of an illusion. Maybe we're living in the dark. We're living what Paul would say we're living blind that Corinthians, he says it this way, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if our gospel is covered, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of believers, unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus's, Sake. I think the God of this age, Satan of this age, has blinded us so brilliantly with commotion and clouds and chaos and clutter and cliches and all that he can use to use culture to try and blind out our world. He's done. And he's been doing it for centuries. He'll use anything. He'll use pleasure, entertainment, sex, distractions, politics, news, media, busyness, material things, sports, Hobbies, anything he can use to cloud out our age so we don't see reality for what it is. But we think we do. We're living blinded. We're living in the dark. We're living in what Paul says we're captivated by hollow and deceptive philosophies. In uh, Neil Postman's book, he wrote this, and, and Amusing Ourselves to Death, he wrote it in 1985. I think it's powerful, especially today. This was pre-iPhone. He says, in America, we are never denied the opportunity to amuse ourselves, right? It's interesting. Aldous Huxley wrote an eerie, kind of fictional narrative story back in 1932 called A Brave New World. I was reading it this summer that just sparked an interest in me. It's kind of a, a dark uh, satire of this fictional utopia world that he basically, the premise of it, this world that he sets up is based on one principle, maximize pleasure and avoid pain. Maximize pleasure And avoid pain. And there's a guy who comes into this world who's not from this world. His name's John. He's the main character of the story. He comes in and he's like, What is going on here? You guys live for pleasure. You guys have uh, all this quote unquote happiness, individual pleasure and happiness, but you guys aren't, you, you have no meaning. You have nothing true. You have nothing good. You have nothing beautiful. And as John's starting to question some of this, well, they, they talk to him and the, the people of this utopia, it looks like a dystopia to him, but this, the people in there, they're like, we have what they call Soma. And Soma is this drug tablet that you can just pop in whenever you want, whenever you're feeling sad. And it climaxes, John, the story climaxes between John and the ruler of this dystopian world, kind of have a conversation And the the ruler says this to him. He says, And if ever, by some unlucky chance, anything unpleasant should somehow happen, why, there's always soma, that drug, to give you a holiday from the facts. There's always soma to calm your anger, to reconcile to your enemies, to make you patient and long-suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort and after years of hard moral training. Now... You swallow two or three half-gram tablets, and there you are. Anybody can be virtuous now. You can carry at least half your morality around in a bottle. It's a Christianity without tears. That's what soma is. The Greek word soma. Soma is a Greek word. Did you know that? It literally means the physical body apart from the soul. It just means the physical apart from the soul, it's humanity's attempts to do life apart from God. One author said it like this, we want the kingdom without the king. Said another way, we want heaven on earth without God. And so the principle you live by, if that's the case, you live maximum pleasure, you avoid all kinds of pain, and the physical world is all that matters. The Enlightenment era post-enlightenment, leads to what Frederick Nietzsche called God is dead. And if God is dead, then we live, and it leaves us in a very dark world. It leaves us in an ominous, painful, and scary world where we're bumping around blinded. You see the violence, the hurt, the loss, the pain, war, anxiety, depression, disillusionment, death it's what c.s lewis called it's it's always winter but never christmas right what's interesting to me is paul is the one who's writing this and he said i was physically blinded he was physically blinded on the road to damascus and he's like when my eyes were opened when my eyes were open to what reality is my physical blindness wasn't even close to as scary as my spiritual blindness was he was on his way to kill Christians. He, he hated the church. He was not about the church or Jesus or anything like that. He wanted to destroy it. But then Jesus met him and his eyes were opened and it was like he saw what life was all about. And I would venture to say this, that Satan would love nothing more than to keep you right now in this moment blind. Blind to God, blind to the reality of Jesus. He would love nothing more than to keep you wandering around this world distracted with Soma. Anything he can get you to just not think about it. And what Paul prays for the Ephesians is simply this. It's a beautiful prayer that essentially says, don't let us live blind to you, Lord. We want to see you. Cue the classic 2000s worship song. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. I want to see you. He prays, Paul prays in the midst of the blindness that God would shake you in such a way that it would shake you to your core, that you would have a mental apocalypse to see Jesus more and more. Not like a not like a mental acknowledgement that Jesus is there, God exists, or anything like that. No, Paul prays that you would have this spirit, this attitude, this drive, this ongoing posture to continually see Jesus more and more, that the blanket would be pulled over or pulled out from under you, that you'd be able to see all of a sudden, that the blanket game would keep happening and happening, and that you would see Jesus for who he really is, not for someone that you make up, not for someone that you just mentally kind of ascend to or think of, but that you would see Jesus for who he actually is. My boys right now, they're having tons of what I'd call mini apocalypses, right? They're having lots of them. They're having tons of mini apocalypses. Uh, my my uh, oldest, Denver, is right now, he's right. He's one. So he's saying uh-oh a lot. And he's starting to connect what uh-oh means, what it actually means. He used to just That made us laugh, and so he'd just say it all the time, right? But he's starting to connect the dots on what it means. And so he knows that when he says, "Uh uh-oh, it means not good. So when he drops his food, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. I lost it. Or he drops the toy, he's like, "Uh uh-oh. Or like he's trying to stack his cups and it falls apart or the block tower comes apart. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. Or when we take him to bed, he's like, "Uh uh uh-oh, 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 right? Like he doesn't want to go. He knows it's not good. He's got another mini mental apocalypse that's happening right now that he's just connecting the dots to with roar. He's starting to say words and starting to make noises and connecting animal noises, right? He'd just roar at everything. He'd go, rah rah rah. But now he knows the lion says roar, right? Not everybody says roar. Denver's world, my son's world is getting bigger and bigger. Henry, his eyes are lighting up all over the place and he's just trying to like focus in. He's trying to see people for the first time. And you can just see it in both my my young boys, my babies, right? Their their worlds are starting to get bigger. Their worlds right now are so small. They're so small. Denver like babbles, and eventually he's going to say some words, and he's starting to. But those words are eventually going to form sentences, and he's right now in a playpen a lot, but he's going to move to a playground where he plays not just with his toys in the home, but he plays on the slides and the rock walls and climbing. He's gonna go from just our living room to school eventually. He's gonna go from middle school to high school. He's gonna to grow to be a young adult, meet new people and have new experiences. Maybe one day he's gonna get married. And he's going to be a dad of his own. His world from here on out is only going to keep getting bigger. I think what Paul wants us to realize is our world needs to keep getting bigger when we see the reality of Jesus. That's the apocalypse. That's the mental apocalypse. Just like a child, it means uh, it's what Jesus says uh, himself. He says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these Children, the the kingdom of heaven is like a curious kid who walks in and just his eyes light up to God. He goes around this world and he walks with his dad, and his dad shows him how to do things and his dad teaches him. And Paul, what he prays is that we would awaken to that reality. Awaken to Jesus in our lives, Jesus in our midst, and that we that would awaken him, would lead us to an action that we connect the spiritual things to the physical world around us, that our mental apocalypse would make sense in our ordinary, everyday living, that we would connect Sundays somehow to Thursdays, that our wisdom and revelation would na- help us navigate every kind of situation we encounter. Paul prays that this would connect the dots somehow. Right? I don't know where you find yourself. Maybe, maybe you feel like, man, when you're describing the blindness, I feel like I'm in that. I feel like this world, it doesn't make sense. It feels like Christmas. It feels like winter without Christmas. Maybe you're blinded. Maybe, maybe for you, you're just kind of bummed out. You're a bummed out Christian. You've kind of been watching as the world, and you see the chaos and the craziness of our world, and so you're kind of the bummed out Christian. Maybe for you, you're, you're not bummed out. You're just kind of bored. You're distracted by the things of this world. You're kind of uh, distracted by media or whatever it is. Satan's kind of caught you caught up in the cloud. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. He prays it for three things. That in order so that you may see the hope to which he has called you to. What he prays is this. He prays for a revelation and wisdom. It's the reality that heaven is our hope and is our home. Paul, in in his other letter to the Corinthians, he says this, that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That you are a citizen of heaven now. He literally says that in Philippians 3.20. He says you are a citizen right now, currently, of heaven. You're living from the the future age right now in the present age age. When I think of this, it's just crazy. It's like a picture. And I picture this picture that heaven is overlapping earth. And the way it's overlapping earth is by us, by you saying yes to Jesus. And it's less of me, more of Jesus. And my role in this dark world that's full of despair, full of brokenness, full of sin, hate, powerlessness, evil, and ugliness, that my role is to abide with Jesus, to live with Jesus, to have more of Jesus in me, where he brings heaven and he works its way into my life. It's not so much about me getting to heaven one day as much as it is about heaven getting into me. He wants me to usher in the hope, the love, the rich, the true, the light, the good, the beautiful, It's what Jesus said when he said the kingdom of God, his main message was the kingdom of God is here. Repent, come, follow me. Turn from the cloudiness of Satan. Wake up to the reality that Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Come, follow me. Surrender your life to me. Turn and come into Christ. Turn from your own ways and trust my ways. He prays, Paul prays that you be awake, that you are a citizen of heaven living here on earth. But he prays another way. He prays that the glorious riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul prays, we'll say it this way, he prays for a revelation and wisdom to the reality that God is rich towards you. We said it this way, that God loves you last week. God is giddy about you. He's been thinking about you for a long time. And at your most shameful, at your most lowest, at your most embarrassing, hopeless moment, the thing that you wish nobody saw in your life, God, at that moment, he stepped in for you. And he wanted you. And he loves you. He's not angry. Romans 5, it says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, not while we were good, but while we were sinners, while we were at our lowest moment. You're not going to impress the creator of the cosmos. You just can't. God, what he wants us to realize, what Paul is praying that we would realize, is that even in the middle of my sinfulness, I'm still his inheritance that I'm God's inheritance, I'm his kid, that he showed up when everybody else left, when everybody else quit on me, God still wanted me. God is rich towards you, you're on his mind. Paul's like, I pray that that would open up, I pray that that mental apocalypse would happen in your brain that it would show up on Tuesday, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't see it around you, that you would drop anchor in the fact that God loves you on your worst day, on your best day, on your most ordinary day. last thing he prays is this. He says this, I pray you know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. He prays for a revelation and wisdom to the reality that the resurrection power is presently at work. What Paul does in this short little two verses, he just stacks synonym on top of synonym of what power he means. It's where we get the words dynamite, explosive energy, force, authority. That It's it's like a king that goes in and conquers and reigns over it. It's that kind of power that we have access to. So when you feel like you're powerless in the situation of the world, when you feel like the cloudiness of this world, that Satan has darkened this world, we have access to the resurrection power of Jesus. That you and I, we don't have the power to change our co-workers' negatives attitudes, right? But God does. You and I don't have the power to heal the disease or the sickness that we're walking through. Do you know who does? God does. You and I don't have the power. Lord knows we don't have the power to make our children do the right things. Do you know who does? God. God has the power. You and I don't have the power to work up courage and the defeatedness of our hearts, but God does. You and I don't have the power to satisfy our deepest needs and desires, but God has the power. You and I don't have the power to reconcile our relationships, our marriages, or fix any of that, but God has that power, resurrection power that is able to fight against sin and habits and addictions, God's power, high school students, young adults, you don't have the power to live purely and faithfully to Jesus in this world, but God has the power that's at work in you. You might not have the power to walk through the breakup or sometimes the lonely road of singleness, but God has the power that's working in you. You and I don't have the power to sort out the crisis of faith that we might be walking in, but God does, and it is a God. God is a God who is for you, he is with you, and he is in you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is working his resurrection power in the other Ugliest and evilest parts of you and our world and it's that power that Paul prays in Philippians he prays in Philippians he says I want you to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that you if you've said yes to Jesus you are a child of God you are a son, a daughter of God. The most powerful being in the universe is your heavenly dad. And your heavenly dad is, is working his resurrection power right now, presently in the middle of all the chaos. And he is caring for you and he is loving you through the process. And this resurrection, this gospel power has the ability to bring light to the darkness, has the ability to bring dead things back to life, has the ability to give hope what feels hopeless and make beautiful what feels messy. And Paul closes by saying, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed Him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. Past, present, future. Paul Paul is saying, God, it was over you and your sin. He was working in the middle of it. He was working to defeat it on the cross. That God is working in the present right now in the middle of this dark world, and God will keep you through the future because Christ is overall. He's working through it all. It will be worth it all because Christ is overall. So I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you feel like you, you've been corrupted by the cloud, so to speak, that Satan's cloud has been working chaos and you, you feel blinded. You're bumping around trying to figure out what life is what the purpose of all this is, and you're walking around blinded. My, my prayer is this: that you would come, that you'd have a mental apocalypse, huh? that you would come to see Jesus for who He is. Maybe you're maybe you're not just blinded. Maybe you're you've said yes to Jesus, but you've kind of gotten old. You, you've lost your your babyness. You've lost your childlikeness, and and what you've become is you've become the bummed out Christian. You become a bummed out Christian. You're discouraged by the cloudiness. You look at the world and everything seems like it's falling apart. My hope and my prayer is that you would see the resurrection power at work, even in the ugliest of situations. God is still working. Open up your eyes. See that your hearts may be enlightened. Some of us, were not bummed out Christians. We're bored because we've gotten caught up in the world. We've gotten caught up in the clouds. We've gotten distracted. Satan's got us right where he wants us, entertained with whatever. My hope is that you would wake up. You would wake up, that God would wake you up and you'd be like a baby. Wherever you're at, if you're blind, if you're bored, if you're bummed out by our world, my hope is that God would wake you up you'd have a mental apocalypse that your world would keep getting bigger that you would see god in such a way that he would blow your mind and it's my deepest prayer because i know this you can't self-generate an apocalypse (laughs) you can't force someone to have a mental apocalypse my question for you is have you ever (laughs) have you ever had one have you ever said yes to jesus Right there where you're at, you can pray, God, God, would you open the eyes of my heart? Lord, help me see. I don't want to be part of the blindness. You can pray that right now. Maybe for you, you just need to be praying this way, that you'd see the hope, the home that you have in heaven, and that God's love would anchor you, and the power of God is at work in the darkness right now, that you'd see Jesus more and more. this has been my prayer for for people it's it's challenged me this week as i've thought about the prayers that i pray i pray a lot of nice prayers and i think the nice prayers that i usually pray usually get nice responses and that there's not bad prayers pray for general good day and good dinner that's not a bad prayer but what if what if we prayed powerful prayers paul prayed a powerful prayer that God would open their eyes, that they would have a mental apocalypse, that their mind would be blown, that they would see the God of the cosmos. This is a passage to be prayed. It's not one to really be preached. And so what I'd love to do, wherever you're at, I'd love to invite you to just bow your head with me for a second, because I want to just pray this passage, God. I'm asking that you give us a revelation, a mental apocalypse. Mental apocalypse that would connect the dots of our ordinary everyday living so that we would know and we would see Jesus more and more. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, open the eyes of those who are blinded. God, open the eyes of the hearts of those who are bored Christians, bummed out Christians. God, would you open our eyes? Would you pull back the blanket? Help us see reality so that we can live with a focus and a clarity as citizens and as kids of heaven. Lord, show us heaven as our hope. Show us it as our home. Help us to grasp the immensity of your love for us and remind us of your present resurrection power that's at work in the darkest and deepest parts in us and the darkest and deepest parts of our world.